Hello, this podcast is sponsored by Now Alchemy. Now Alchemy is an amazing company that has formulated the most powerful substance in our body that was taken way back in the Egyptian era known as the food of the gods. Not only does it bring in balance, happiness, and increase your intuition, it decalcifies your pineal gland, which opens up your third eye and increases your light body, allowing your consciousness and your awareness to be open and aware of everything that is going on. The high-level mineral source, which we need today on our planet, is so important. With the fact that the earth itself has been overturned so many times with all of the farming industries, that we do not have access to the rich ormus that is available in this planet. And thanks to now alchemy, we do. We now have the sustenance that our body needs that is brought in from the Himalayan mountains and the Dead Sea. Ormus, which is powerful energy source that moves through your body and brings together a whole synthesis of information to every part of your body. By bringing this mineral source, you are nourishing your body at a cellular level. I love the company for what it stands for and its ethics. And it has been a sponsor of Ancient Wisdom Today podcast since the beginning. And that's why I always ask the tribe to support the sponsors who are sponsoring this show because I go through each of the sponsors with strong ethics and integrity to make sure that whatever they are bringing forth is in align to the planet and into you and for all of us so that we can grow and have health and wellness in our lives. Ormus's company spends a lot of time with advanced scientists, naturopaths, and doctors and herbalists to formulate a sourcing technique that brings in the highest quality of organic ingredients from the most mysterious and desolate countries in order to bring the magic in the bottle, which is Ormus. Now Alchemy is not just for health and wellness community, but for all people seeking to become their greatest version of themselves. And I've been taking this product for many months, and it has been such an addition to my shamanic love that I bring to the world. And how I bring love into the lives of people is by keeping myself healthy and happy and lifted and shifted. By bringing the highest source of minerals in my body, I am able to hold a high vibration of energy and light when doing healing work or when I'm speaking to large groups of people and when I'm here lit and doing Ancient Wisdom Today podcasts. So I invite you to experience the amazingness of Ormus. They have so many powerful selections that you can choose from, from 24 karat gold Ormus to Shilajit to nano-enhanced CBD to Elysium, each bringing a different blend of energy to your body. And I honestly say that this company is really changing the lives of people. Ever since I've mentioned them and shared them with all of the people in the tribe, I've been getting letters and letters of people's lives that have been changing. And not to mention the fact that those who have had suffered so many times from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, confusion, fog brain, and all of these other symptoms that have been plaguing us because of the onslaught of aggressive energies on our planet, by taking Ormus, these things are cleared, neutralized, and allowing you to have more balance and groundedness in who you are, as well as enhancing your mind so that you're able to think clearly and have a stronger focus. You can get Ormus by contacting www.n.com 
www.nowalchemy.com. That's www.nowalchemy.com. And if you use the code SHAMAN, you'll get 11% off every purchase you make. I'm so happy, tribe, that we are putting beautiful things in our body because putting beautiful things in our body is putting beautiful things in our mind and our spirit. And that allows us to shine and radiate our truth in this world as leaders. I love you. Enjoy the share. Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek is a sixth generation shaman, an evolutionary innovator, and a women's empowerment leader. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. We're sharing ancient knowledge in modern times in order to put the power back in people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. Hello, tribe, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. And if anyone hasn't told you how amazing and wonderful and beautiful and divine and creative and loving you are, let me be the first to tell you. I love you so much for being on this planet and for shifting and lifting the people around you by being a messenger of love and by holding that love and bringing the wisdom and information and clarity that we need so that we can honor all life on planet Earth. And speaking of honoring all life on planet Earth, I have an amazing guest in studio today. Uh, I have to tell you uh, just a little bit of information. You know, I am very much about loving animals and the way we treat animals and the way we coexist with animals on the planet. And this amazing woman has the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, which is, I'm gonna, she's going to tell you all about it. But when I first came up with what she's doing and who she is and the energy and the beauty and the love, and I just felt my heart just opening up to what she's about and what they're doing. And I just really wanted to bring her on to the, um, the tribe so that everyone knows about what is the Rowdy Girl Sanctuary? And, you know, what is it like to be a rancher and to, to be in this world today when everyone has these very different ideas about how things are when it comes to being vegan or it comes to eating meat, when it comes to, you know, really honoring animals and like, you know, where do we stand? And, you know, and I know a lot of you on here also, you know, partake a lot in eating meat. And I'm not here to say that you're bad or you're wrong. I'm just here to share the conversation with the tribe. And that's the reason why I thought it was very important to bring in studio today, Renee King Sonin of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Welcome, my love. Oh, hi. I'm so, so happy to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's an honor. It's such an honor. So can you tell me, like, you did, so you're a rancher. Tell me what that means. So, so people who don't know what that is can kind of understand. Well, uh, my husband and I, uh, used to be the, you know, ranchers for uh, a cattle ranch in Texas. And we had, at the time, we were a small cattle ranch of about 29 cows. Uh, And, you know, just a typical Texas beef cattle ranch. And uh, we sold calves every six months to the sale barn. And those those calves would end up going to uh, feedlots where they were sold and processed, uh, you know, for slaughter for meat. 
And so we did that and we participated in that every six months. We had an auction that we uh, took the animals to and that's, that's how we participated in ranching. Okay. And so, so now, so you're not ranching anymore. Oh, no, we are. Well, we're a vegan ranch. <laughs> we have over 124 farm animals now, uh, 64 cows now, and they're all rescued from slaughter. All rescued from either slaughter or very horrific cruelty cases. Now, I want to kind of go into that a little bit because you went from a rancher, right, who was selling these animals to be slaughtered. What was the change about for you that what was that? What was this, you know, what was the catharsis that you had that made you change the way that you were perceiving life to be able to do what you do now? Yeah, it's a great question. And I am so appreciative of of you giving me a platform with your audience because it's so important that people understand, you know, that do follow you, that we're not here to judge or condemn. We're here to educate. And that's uh, that's a real big part of it. But what happened for me as being, I mean, I'm a full-blown country, you know, Texan, right? I mean, I'm from Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I had a collection of leather boots. Uh, I went to the rodeo every year. I participated in all of that cruelty that I didn't even realize was cruelty, okay? Because it was traditional. It was uh, part of our Texas heritage. And I didn't realize that it was wrong for me ethically until my husband and I remarried. We had been married before. And the second time we remarried, (laughs) believe it or not, uh, he had acquired this ranch and he had picked up the ranching baton of his forefathers, which dated back to the 1800s uh, when his great grandpa, you know, actually drove cattle from San Antonio to Houston, you know, with the brands, with spurs, with all of that. They had slaughterhouses. So my husband picked up the ranching heritage and, you know, started doing the ranching here uh, in Angleton, Texas. And when I remarried him, I stepped off into that, you know, cow mess too. And I really, really wasn't uh, at all interested in the cows at the time. I didn't even really want to moved to the ranch. I wanted my husband to move to the city, uh, which is where I lived. I lived, uh, you know, in Pearland, Texas. I was selling real estate there and I really wasn't interested in all the, the mud and the cows and all the work that came with it. I was doing my meditation and my yoga and, you know, my, my world of Ayurveda and, you know, all this other ranching mess. I didn't want nothing to do with it. But what happened was my husband wanted me to get involved. And so he told me about this, these babies that needed a mama. Well, there you go. I, I was like, what? What kind? What, what babies? And he said, well, there's these two calves. They need a mama. They need to be bottle fed. And, you know, his motive was to get me involved in ranching. Uh, and it worked, but it backfired on him because when I bought these two calves, one of which was Rowdy Girl, uh, I began to fall in love with the herd. So I began to fall in love with all of the animals that were in the pasture. And Rowdy Girl was my conduit to seeing all these animals as, you know, beings instead of food. So it took me a while to transition. Mm, That's so powerful. Because to be able to, you know, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole understanding in shamanism 
which is based on the essence of life, right? So like the value of life, the essence of life and understanding the life code. And when we actually are able to truly value and see life, we're able to see all sentient beings as not as a greater and less than, but as an equal. And it's interesting too, because we have this whole thing on earth where, because we speak a language that's, you know, English or Spanish or Italian or whatever it is that we're speaking and we can understand each other because we've created ways to understand each other, just because we don't know how to speak the animal's language, because we don't know how animals communicate and we don't know how to communicate to them, we just assume that they're a lesser species. And so we just do, we do what we ever, what we, what we want to do to them without, you know, without rhyme or reason and thinking on how it affects them. And in fact, these are sentient beings. These are living beings that have a soul. They have a spirit and they feel, yes. they have emotions. And here's the interesting thing that I uh, found out with some of my friends who are scientists is that animals have way more emotions than we do. They do. So when we cry and we get heartbroken or, you know, how people go into like pain because they lost someone who died or whatever, animals, you can multiply that by hundreds more of feeling sensors that are going through them. They feel that much more than we do. Absolutely. They do. I've, I've witnessed that. I have not only witnessed it, I feel it. I feel what they feel now. And it wasn't until I slipped down the rabbit hole and went into their world, uh, you know, it was as if I grew antennas that matched to them. And I was able to uh, communicate with them through silence. And I communicated with them through deep, deep uh, empathy and feelings for, I mean, it was, it was so bizarre. It was as if I literally had uh, like in the Matrix, where you take a blue pill and a red pill. Yes. It was as if I had taken <laughs> I a different you. pill. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, I'm in this field where everything's brighter greens, brighter yellows. You know, there's rainbows on every corner of the planet. And I'm, you know, in a field with these cows that I, you know, normally would eat. And I'm loving them all. And I'm naming them. And I can hear them. And then they can hear me. And it was like bizarre. And then I would jump out of this world. You know, this only happened when I was feeding Rowdy Girl, when I was bottle feeding her. And when I stopped feeding her, I had to go back to being a good rancher's wife. I had to, you know, walk into my house and, and be married to a rancher. And the contradiction of w- what I was, who I was married to, what I was participating in, began to really take its toll on me. I almost freaking lost my mind because it, it was so real for me. It was palpable. When I was, was, when I was feeding Rowdy Girl and with them cows, I was in a whole different world. Mm, my goodness. I got chills just came through my body with sadness and, like, and, and just this great, this great reverence for you. And your ability to hold witness. And, you know, that in shamanism, that's the first key to recognizing anything or to see the true connection with our relationship with trees, with animals, with the water, with the ocean, is to just be with it with, and be in silence. And then what, the, what happens is their spirit opens up a doorway and we get invited into, to see deeper into their world or into that realm. And that's what that's happened to exactly. you. 
That's exactly what happened. Oh, it's, I, I, I could not have articulated, not have articulated that, but that's exactly. It was only through silence. And had I not had a rich meditation life, had I not, you know, spent years, you know, at ashrams and and studied, you know, a lot of the teachings that I that I did in uh, yoga, Sanskrit, and and all, I, I wouldn't have known to just be in that space. Because it was when I was in that space that it all just unfolded as if it was the next chapter in my life. It wasn't like I, you know, I I didn't even know it was happening. It just started to happen and I was ready for it. And so when this whole, this whole, because that's what you basically had, you had a cathartic moment. I mean, you had a, you had a shamanic deep experience connecting with, with life in a different way. How did you, how did you, you know, because that must have been a, a different dichotomy going on, you know, from the juxtaposition of being in that realm and then going back and being in the, being the wife to a rancher. How uh, did you, how did you, how was that like for you internally and externally? It was, it was, it ripped me up at, because I began to challenge my husband um, and I did it by asking him lots of questions. I would say things like, why don't we kill the animals on our farm and eat them? How can we buy our meat from Whole Foods or Kroger's or H-E-B or anywhere? How come we don't kill our own animals? We have grass-fed beef right here. And my husband would say things like, I don't want to answer that question. And I'm like, why not? I want to know. You know, you need to answer that question because it doesn't make sense to me that we we corral these animals up twice a year, send them off to a cell barn to be slaughtered when we don't even eat our own animals and we, you know, we could know exactly where our meat comes from. He said, and finally, he answered me. He said, Renee, I can't eat animals I know. And I was like, that's totally messed up. You know, you... Oh Oh my God, I'm dead. I love it. I love you. How can we, you know, so you don't know this animal, but you can eat their mother or their cousin because you bought the package all ripped up and, you know, diced up in shreds at the store. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just wrong. He said, well, Renee, I I couldn't do it. I said, well, we're going to do it. If we're going to do this. So, so what happened is I started challenging him at every turn. If, you know, if I was going to be a rancher, uh, basically I was a rancher too, even though I was not as uh, into it as he was, uh, I was his wife and I had to participate. Um, you know, I said, if we're going to do this, then, you know, then we need to kill one of our own animals. I want to be a part of that experience of slaughtering our own animal and eating our own animal if we're going to be ranchers. He said, you've lost your mind. I said, no, uh-uh. I really, this is what we're going to do. Now, we never did that, okay? But the thing is, it was for me, I was trying to get to a place where I could justify my existence married to a rancher. You know, if I was going to do this and I was going to be at least responsible in my mind at the time by slaughtering one of our own animals. But it never happened. Uh, I went vegan instead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and as a result, uh, you know, shook up our entire marriage. We almost divorced again over it. And, you know, now my husband is vegan. But, you know, it was a real, real tough transition because, you know, I tried to, I mean, I started getting all my milk from a, di- from a local dairy you know, all of my eggs, you know, were sourced with, you know, chickens out of my own yard. 
uh, I, I started doing everything I could to be more quote unquote humane. And every time I turned around, I found, you know, fallacy in all of it. I found, you know, violence in every bit of it. There's violence that's normalized in every aspect of animal agriculture, even the family farms that appear to be so, you know, gentle and, you know, humane. There's violence in all of it. And so I didn't want to be a person that contradicted my own internal ethics about nonviolence. You know, here I am, you know, thinking I'm practicing ahimsa, but yet I'm participating in acts of violence every time I pick up my fork. I just finally had to come to terms with that. Wow. So that's a really deep, deep wisdom of integrity and also self-respect as well, because the idea of you being able to actually discern your own motives, your own ideas of what you're doing, and really look at how can I be the most authentic? How can I say that I'm this, you know, authentic person? And, you know, and I, and I, I can see the challenges, you know, that come along with that as well, because a lot of people, you know, have been raised in society that they have to eat meat and they become so accustomed to it with the fast food restaurants and with, you know, meat always being offered on the table as a staple to, you know, for you to be able to, to, to survive and to give sustenance to your body. And so a lot of people have a hard time and I'm going to use hard because they make it hard in the way that they just attach to, well, this is the routine that I was raised with. So this is the routine I'm going to keep going with. And they don't, they don't go into that mindset that you went into, which is I'm participating in violence. As if the same thing was that every time they bought, like, let's say a new car or they bought something new from the store, some woman would be sacrificed as a way of, you know, for the, for the payment of that, what they, the merchandise that they bought. If they knew that every time they bought something, someone's life would be taken, most chances would be that they would not buy that thing because they would go, oh my God, a human being is being killed every time I buy a new outfit. Yeah. Hypothetically exactly. speaking. But the point I'm saying is nonetheless, um, it gives a good kind of a, a, a good degree of variance of the, the, the value that we place upon humans versus animals and also the understanding of life is life. And that's kind of my whole, it's like life is life, right? It's like, it doesn't matter if it's in human form, if it's a bird, if it's a cat, if it's a dog, or if it's a cow or whatever, it's life is life. And yep. You know, and I've seen challenges within myself speaking because, you know, I was vegan for a very long time. Then I go vegetarian because I'm living in another country. Then I go raw and then I go back to vegan. But I mean, I'll never eat meat. I haven't eaten meat since I was 22 years old. And I ate it and I only stopped only because every time I chew the meat, I would lay in bed and get these flashes of the animal being killed and then how it was killed and then what happened to it after and then how it got into the packaging and then how it got to my table and how it got in my body. And my, my, because I'm a shaman, my body has such a strong synthesis that I can pick up on subtle frequencies. And so the frequencies have images that go along with the frequency, the code. Once I feel the code, it unlocks images into my mind. Like if I was playing a movie on a screen and all of a sudden I'd be laying in bed and start shaking and my friends would be like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh my God, you don't know what my, what my synthesis is showing me in my visions right now. I'm being mm. transported to this, the death of this animal that I just ate on the table. I can't do this. Oh. And it just, at first I tried, oh, maybe it's a psychological thing or maybe I'm imagining it. And finally I met with some other shamans and they were like, no, you're not meant to eat meat. 
because you can feel um, you can your the blood and what's going in your body. It, there is life codes in it, and you're picking up on the life codes, and you're projecting them into your mind. To, and your auto, you're automotively mm. going back to you know with um, with trans with vision to see exactly this what the spirit saw when it was being killed. And that is so phenomenal. Isn't that crazy? And so that's why I stopped. So at age 22, I made a decision. I, cause my dad was a big meat eater, you know, being African, coming from that very West African bloodline, um, and being in that kind of way, he grew up with like, you know, steak on the dinner, steak, steak, steak is like the, is the luxury meal, you know? And literally I told him I could not, I can't eat this anymore. I, I my friends and everything. Did you find when you made that transition, I mean, we know that you had some challenges with your husband in the process. As you said, you almost got divorced through that <laughs> again, <laughs> again, um, which is yeah, which is kind of a challenge because what I love about you is your forthrightness, like the part of you that is just so on point that once you make up your mind about something, you don't vacillate. You're like, this is where this is my ground. This is the ground I'm standing on, and I'm drawing a line right here. So either meet me at this line or don't meet me at this line. But this is where I'm at, and it should have nothing to do with like what you choose to do. It this is me, and if you have a problem with me, then that's your issue. And I love that power in you <laughs> as a woman. Thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It uh, it was something that something I developed early in life because of, um, you know, I had a, you know, I had just horrific violence in my upbringing and I have been able to transmute so much of that violence into uh, an ability to be so empathic. And, you know, I'm able to pick up, I mean, you, I mean, just listening to you talk about the codes. I mean, I never called it that, but uh, I mean, I, I was, I understood everything you were saying because that's exactly what started happening to me, you know, and the worst, the worst of the worst uh, that I really, it has been so, it was so shielded from me. It's so shielded from us is the violence of dairy because dairy is more violent than the beef industry. And when I, began to witness and understand that dairy was was raping mama cows that when i participated in dairy i was not only participating in you know mama cows being raped uh babies being taken forcibly from their mothers so that the milk that was being made for that baby could be uh you know, so that their udders, their femininity could be attached to machines and they could be sucked dry so so mankind can have milk and cheese and yogurt. I began to see the horror show. It was just like you were saying. It was as if all of a sudden I was having these dreams. I was seeing these images. Well, what if we attached you know, women to these machines and we sucked their breasts dry and we took their babies away, would they not be absolutely uh, 100% just in pain for the rest of their lives as a result of this? And as you said, the, the animal species feel so much deeper than we do, their feelings. And their grief is so sustained that they are never ever able to get out from under the grief. They are constantly milked with the memory of their baby coming through them and leaving them. 
these babies are constantly ripped away, put in these veal crates that just extend for miles and miles and miles away from the human eye. Dairy is an atrocity on our planet. Mm, Wow. I didn't know this. But when I began to not only know it, but to feel it, when I began to feel the absolute, oh, the the feelings of the the dairy cows and the babies, when I I began to have their feel, I began to feel it. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot ever do this again. I knew I couldn't. And I, and that's why my voice is relentless. That's why, you know, I would take a, you know, I, I, I mean, I would take a bullet in the street for this cause because mm. they don't have a voice. They stand, you know, in rows attached to machines. And people that are feminist and really believe in the power of the feminine, I mean, the dairy industry is the worst against the feminine. They even have contests to judge the size and the shape of the udders, the breast. They even put them on display and give them ribbons and awards. It's disgusting, really. That is disgusting. And it's to say, and it's to say that the humanity is lost in our behaviors, the way that we operate as human beings, if we are so so easy to say that this is okay, then why wouldn't it be okay if another species came in contact with us and saw all of our population and said, hey, we have an overpopulation of human beings on planet Earth. Why don't we take their women and, t- and, and, yeah. and, and do the same to them? Let's impregnate them, take their babies, um, and let's go ahead and hook up these machines to women's breasts and put them into these mach- into these machines and these ETs could do that to us. You know, I mean people don't look at the different sides of points and as much as I'm people may say oh that would never happen but you can't say what can and what cannot happen. You can't say that our race is always going to be it's not it's not the only species in this galaxy. There could be beings that would love to of come course. here and do that to us because we do it to things so they would be like well they do it to to the other species so what we could do it to them. You know, it's like it's like the abuse is 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 triangulated by the idea of of observance and watching how someone is allowing themselves to do something. Then another being goes, well, then I can do that to them as well, right? And it's and it's it's really unfortunate that we have we haven't gotten a pl- to a place in our humanity where we value life as the number one value more so than we do material possessions or who walks the red carpet or who just won an award for what or you know what is the coolest you know thing the, the hottest thing or the biggest and best thing that everyone is getting into the quality of humanity should be held within the field of do we value life in general period not a question of well, we value this much of life, but this percentage of life we don't value. So we're, we're, we we call ourselves humane, and we call ourselves people who are of love and all these. You know, we got people going into this way of looking at life, but at the same time, you know, they're going from this pers- this this place of true truly you know, being hypocritical on the value of their own life if they're so willing to take the, a life of another without question, without reason. And a lot of people will bring up the idea of like, well, the Native Americans, you know, hunted animals and they, you know, they ate and tribal people ate and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they did. This is true. But also we must understand in tribal culture, 
a tribe, you know, ate everything they, they had, and then they used everything they had to survive. That's not what we're doing. No. We're not doing that. No, we're not. In fact, the big difference in all of that is because, you know, people also use, you know, the Bible. I mean, that's the big one. Well, you know, Jesus ate fish and God said this. Well, you know, um, you know, it. there is no way that you can even begin to compare the factory farm, you know, concentrated animal feeding uh, operations to the way, the way it was in, you know, tribal uh, instances or biblical days. It's nowhere near the same. I mean, when you really get back to the basics, to the essence of creation, according to, you know, all the creation stories that there are, the beginning was like Eden. The beginning was vegan. The, the reason why the whole idea of eating animals came into the consciousness of our planet is because man fell. And man is continuing to fall. And, they, and we need to realize uh, and see with real eyes, or realize uh, that at the end of the day, at the end of the world, whenever that is, it's going to be vegan too. See, there's not going to be, then there isn't, there isn't any way that the afterlife is about consuming animals. It's only here on this planet, which I think, you know, the animals probably look at us as, you know, demons. Uh, I'm sure the animals see us as demons. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I'm just saying if, if I was, if to look from their eyes at a human coming at them, bolting them, stringing them up, slitting their throat while they're still conscious, bleeding them out, you know, while they're just dying all around them, other animals watching their friends die in front of them, seeing that the humans are the ones doing this to them. See, when I was actually visiting with the cows, I used to, before me and Tommy got on track, uh, I could not stand being in my home I couldn't stand being around my husband. You know, I was calling him a murderer, quite frankly. And uh, I was vegan and I was just living with the cows, basically. All day, I went and, and I was, became part of the herd. I slept with them. I, I sat with them. I laid down with them. I would let them get to know me. They would come towards me. I didn't ever try to get in their space. But because... I was with them so many hours a day, they began to accept me as part of their own. And it was, there is no way I can begin to explain to you what that felt like and what I know now, you know? I mean, I am so amazed at the level of empathy, love, forgiveness that cows have, you know, all animals, but I'm speaking of cows right now. Because they're the ones I have the deepest relationship with. And they, 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 they've taught me so, so much. And, you know, we, this has all been shielded from us. See, it's not humanity. It's not really humanity's fault that we don't know. But when we do know, it is our responsibility to, to make some changes. Once we know... We, we can't unknow unless we just want to remain numb to it. And when once I began to know, 
I had to continue to go deeper because my ethics would not allow me to just say, oh, well, so be it. I think spiritual people are, are, are just prime to understand this, especially when we take into consideration, and this uh, came out of the World Peace Diet book by Dr. Will Tuttle. Uh, the word capitalism comes from, you know, per head of cattle. Yeah, It's, uh, you know, capitalism. So our very monetary system was based on heads of cattle, you know, and stock, the stock market was based on livestock. Everything has been set up for thousands of years on the backs of animals. This is not, this was not considered tribal or biblical. This is what man has done because man has continued to fall into this trap of using animals to provide power, money. And then if you go all the way back to Sanskrit for the word war, the word war means in Sanskrit, the desire for more cattle. That's crazy. And it's, I know. And I had to, I had to prove this to myself. I looked it up. It's true. Well, you know, in the in the Bible, this the uh, there's the book of Leviticus, which is eleven one forty seven, and it says that as the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, "Speak to the people of Israel, saying that these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals on the earth." And what I find very interesting about what he says is, as whatever part of hoof that is cloven footed or choose the cud among the animals you may eat, nevertheless among those that chew the cud or part of the hoof. You shall not eat these, such as camels, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean. And so it's almost like they're basically saying, like, these animals are unclean, these animals are clean. They'll eat the clean ones and leave the unclean ones. And I find that very fascinating how the Bible talks about that. And this, and like a lot of people utilize a lot from the Bible in the way in which they choose to to treat life in general. The idea that human beings feel that if God can destroy me and and hurt um, and and you know and punish someone, then I have the right to punish someone in God's name. And so that's been used, you know, if, as far as you can remember, as far as anyone can remember, you know, that people utilize religion as a way to uh, inflict their ideas of righteousness upon something in order mm -hmm. to give it validation of its worthiness in society. And so people will say, well, it's in the Bible. It says I can eat meat. Or it says in the Bible that I can eat that animal because it chews its cud and it's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's so, it really is humorous when you really start to think about it because, you know, we all have this empathy where we know if an animal is sentient or not. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing that if the, you know, whatever is true about the Bible, all these stories we've been told, it's amazing that God had to tell people which animals they could and couldn't eat. Uh, it's amazing to me that, you know, that people didn't take, you know, the commandment, thou shall not kill literally. I always I mean, say that. Oh my God, I love you. I love you so, so much because I say that all the time. I mean, it's a complete it sense. Over. It gets it completely skipped over as if it never existed. 
Yeah. And so, so why don't we look at that and say, you know, because see, that's what I'm saying. It's like God, uh, according to the Bible, to me, just kept having all of this forgiveness for my humanity and kept giving them all these chances. Well, here, eat this one, but not this one, you know, uh, you know, and after the flood, you know, there was no vegetation. So he gave them permission to eat, you know, uh, animals during that time, but it never was intended for them to just keep eating animals. I mean, in Genesis one twenty nine, it says, you know, then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. You they shall will have be yours for, for food. food. That's right. That's right. I mean, so why don't, why do we take these scriptures that we just want to magnify and as an excuse to consume animals? It's just like slavery is in the Bible. Does that mean because it's in there, we're going to condone slavery or we're going to subjugate women to men and drag them around by their ponytails? I mean, I mean, exactly. I mean, all this is in the Bible. So does that mean we can do it? We can pick and choose like a like a cafeteria? Yeah. And, it, you know, and it's funny, too, because, you know, I've studied world religion as a shaman. I wanted to be a very well-versed shaman, not just a shaman who studies from my family's culture, but also I wanted to understand different people's belief systems from everything from like Hinduism to Buddhism to Sanskrit, you know, to understanding, um, you know, uh, Judaism. That's why I went and lived in Israel, in Turkey. Oh, my God, you would you would have a field day in Turkey. In Turkey, they have this festival called Ramadan. Ramadan. And oh, I've heard of it. Oh. oh, my goodness. The first time I experienced it, and don't get me wrong, I love Turkey. I love all people. But one day I had to go help someone who was really, really ill. And then to get to his house, I had to take a taxi. And the taxi got held up in this slaughter zone. They oh. literally have slaughter zones. And the way it is, is that you're supposed to go and give a prayer to the animal that you're going to sacrifice. And then you're supposed to cut its throat in a very ceremonial way so it doesn't feel so much of the pain. And you're supposed to say sorry and bless the animal and do this prayer. Well, that's what you're supposed to do as according, uh. to, to, uh, as according to the Quran and so forth. However... When I got stuck in the cat in the taxi and we couldn't move, I decided to get out of the car and take a look for myself. I walked around this slaughterhouse. I watched these four guys take this cow and cut off its legs. It was fell over. They were taking turns stabbing it. The cow was screaming for its life. Okay. They cut oh my God. the stomach and watched its bowels fall out. And the cow was still screaming and shaking. I watched this kid, maybe 16 years old, chop off the head of a pig and keep chopping it with his brother. And the parents were like excited and excited for it. There was no prayers. There was no uh, gentle killings. It was literally, I saw one tent where they took a hook and they grabbed it and put it into the cow and lifted them up. And all these people came and started stabbing it and cutting its legs off and all this stuff. It was the oh most horrific thing I've ever seen and smelt. <sighs> and oh my God, the way the festival goes is that you're supposed to give the meat to the poor 
on this day before, because of the fact that they're poor can't eat this type, can't eat meat and live this lavish life. So you give them, it's like giving, you know, you're supposed to give to the poor and all this kind of stuff. I have friends in Turkey who are come, who come to see me because they're devastated. They leave the country. I, every time when I was living in Turkey, I would try to get on an airplane and leave the country. But in sometimes I had to stay because I had a TV show there and I would be like, Oh my God, I'm here again, and this whole festival's here again, and you can see the slaughter tents everywhere. And some people would slaughter them in their backyard. I have friends of mine who are still devastated to this day that they had these animals in their yard, and then the parents had them, they slaughtered them in front of them as little kids, and they've been, they've had this trauma inside of them watching the devalue, the devaluation, like no, no acknowledgement of life whatsoever. And I, you know, and I, and I see this. And then I see in other countries where they, they, you know, they take cats and they take dogs and just throw them in a hot thing of water without even like killing them first. They just throw them in a big pot, you know, <sighs> and cook them. And it's like, there's no acknowledgement of life, you know? And I Oh, think my it, heart. Oh, my yeah. heart. You know, I'm just sitting here. I'm having to just, you know, I'm having to just do all sorts of channeling right now to get this, the, this feeling, these memories, everything you're talking about. It's just like, <sighs> Oh my God. I mean, it's, it, 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 and literally, I cried. I cried for three days. I threw up. I had major diarrhea. <sighs> I was like, I called my friends in Turkey. I said, I, I'm, I'm so depressed this week. I'm doing every shamanic thing I can to pull myself from this depression. And I'm just depressed and I can't pull myself out of it. And one of my girls came over, one of my girlfriends <sighs> came over and she said to me, now you know what we feel since we were kids. This is how I felt my whole childhood. Every time we do this festival, every time they do this, I feel like this, you know? And I literally, I literally, it, 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 it was really hard for me on so many levels because I, you know, one time I was going to a friend's house and I saw blood drippings all over the streets and all over the floor <sighs> of people who slaughtered the animals and, and was dragging them, you know, and stuff. I had, I saw a guy in the street where I got out of the car, started screaming at him. I don't want to start crying. Literally this cow um, was blind. He blinded. Like he had the, the mask over the cow. The cow was trying to run from him down the streets of Istanbul. Okay. On the Asian side was trying to run from him. And he was like making jokes about it. So he kept punching the cow in the face, you know, and the cow, and then the cow would go the other direction. And the other guy would punch the cow in the face. Like they were taking turns punching and getting the cow to go where they wanted to go. And the cow just dropped and just was like, just like, you could feel its pain and it's just shaking. And it was just horrible. Oh, and this guy like God. took pictures and like, 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 yay, with his holding his, uh, his, uh, what is it called? The knife in his hand being like, yeah, look at me. I'm going to kill this guy later, you know? And it was just like, are you something wrong with you? Do you have a, like, what's wrong with you? Where is your, where is your soul? Where is that little boy and girl inside of you? Where, why can't you feel what you're doing? Where is your humanity? What is wrong with you? And don't, and when people sit there and say to me, oh, where it says this in the Quran. Oh, it says this in the Bible. Oh, it says this. You know what? I'm sorry, but if that's mm -hmm. your interpretation of honoring life, you don't mm -hmm. see the value of life. You don't understand the value of life. I think that's the biggest sickness we have in humanity. It is. It is. We have normalized violence. 
you know, and we need to get back to, or we need to get to normalizing nonviolence because, you know, the problem is there will be no peace on earth until there is peace really on our plates. Until we stop killing animals and using animals for entertainment, for leather, for, uh, you know, um, you know, vivisection, you know, whether, whether they test animals for every product they own, test on animals. I mean, we've got to stop using animals. I mean, these rodeos, these circuses, I mean, animals, I mean, if our karma is, as a human race, is unbelievably, uh, you know, tainted. I mean, we, we have a horrible karma as a species and we have an opportunity, you know, to undo all of that, you know, but are we going to? That's why I believe, I mean, we don't have a lot of time. I have, I know what my purpose is in life now. I always thought I knew a per- my purpose until I became, you know, uh, until I went vegan for these animals. I didn't do it for my health. I didn't do it for the environment. I did it because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that what we were doing was wrong to these animals. I knew that these animals had souls. I didn't need somebody to tell me, well, the Bible says this. I don't need a Bible. I don't need a Quran. I don't need the Bhagavad Gita. I don't need the Tao Te Ching. I don't need any spiritual book to tell me what's already written on my heart. Exactly. See, it's written on our hearts. We already know the truth. And now it's time to line up. Yeah, they call it in Turkey the sacrifice feast. It comes about 70 Ugh. days after the Ramadan feast. And it, it's just, it just, you know, it's like, um, yeah, exactly. It's written on your heart. And, you know, and that's the whole thing too, is I, is I, you know, I speak to animals. I do a lot of talk to animals. I've helped a lot of, you know, a dressage, uh, champion dressage riders uh, be, figure out what, you know, what's happening to their horse when it's not doing the things they want it to, pirouettes they want it to do and all this kind of stuff. And I had a woman once lose her pig and I talked to her pig and her pig told me it was underneath the place where water was running. And we found it under this little drain where it was uh, sitting in the water, you know, and I, 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 you know, animals are so smart and humans don't know how smart animals really are. Like once I was doing this project with Taiji with the dolphins and they asked me to talk to the dolphins to see, you know, what it was that the dolphins felt when they were being slaughtered and, and killed in Japan <laughs> and Taiji. And, you know, it was interesting because I went into a trance to speak to the dolphin and the dolphin took me to this beautiful garden. And in the garden, I was um, with the dolphin as a little boy and it was playing and laughing and smiling at me and giving me so much love. And then it was like just there. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like I got pulled away from it. And then all these nets, these men came with nets and trapped the little boy and kept stabbing him with knives. Mm -hmm. And he was giving love to them. You know, he was still giving love to them. And, you know, and, uh, and, and still, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, giving love to them as he was being as he was being stabbed. And what the dolphin had shared with me is that they're like children and that they feel, they feel the pain way more because they, they give love even while you're stabbing them and they're in so much pain and suffering, mm-hmm. you know, and they're crying out, why can't you hear me? Why don't you feel me? Why can't you, you know, you, you, you know, feel me 
you know, when you're, you're doing this to me. And it was so painful. But then the dolphins told me that every time we kill them, they every animal on planet Earth connects to an aspect of the human body. And mm. every time we kill an animal in mass loads, we are actually affecting a certain part of our brain, our body, our health, or something is going off in the ecosystem, including our body, which is also its ecosystem. And eventually, we're all going to end up slaughtering ourselves by slaughtering them. Exactly. You're so true. It's so right. I love you for saying that because that's exactly what I believe, that we are killing ourselves every time we eat animals. I mean, look, we are, we are in essence. I mean, when you think about the heart disease, when you think about the cardiovascular, the cancer, you know, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's proven, you know, that just going on a plant-based diet will, you know, give you 40% chance of not having heart disease, just, you know, and, and that it, and the 91% uh, chance of not having blocked arteries. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, pretty amazing statistic, I think, you know, and, and all of these cancer causing foods, I mean, the World Health Organization has clearly said, you know, that carcinogens are in, uh, just like that cause cancer in bacon and all your processed meats, like, you know, turkey and bacon and uh, bologna or ham or any of these processed meats, sausages, those are so highly carcinogenic. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's like giving your kids cigarettes when they're in, you know, Elementary school. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it I love is. it. <laughs> is I know it is, and I, you know, it's so funny. I had a falling out with a friend of mine, um, because she feeds her kids like the crappiest stuff, and finally, I just was like, I can't believe you say that you, you're very healthy with your kids. Your kid is just you know, just dealt with like having diabetes, which was interesting because uh, three years prior, I looked at her son and I was like, your kid is going to have diabetes if you keep feeding him all this crap. And she's like, don't "Don't say that. I'm like, "I'm, I'm not saying it to hurt you. I'm a harbinger. I'm a shaman. If I say something to you that's like, don't do this or you're going to get cancer, I'm not, I've already looked at the quantum sphere. I've already looked at your quantum energy of all the different angles of possibilities that lead to the one I'm telling you right now. And I'm telling you, if you don't make changes in three years, your son is going to come into your room and he's going to tell you he's very sick and you're going to go to the hospital and you're going to find out he has diabetes. And she kept feeding him the worst food, the most processed, disgusting, nasty food. Okay. And I said to her, you have to stop. And I gave her another warning. I had to go back to Europe. I was in Spain at the time living in Barcelona. And I said, you have to stop. And she wouldn't stop. And she calls me on the phone. I'm in Istanbul, Turkey. I was doing a big workshop out in Dacha. And she called me on the phone and she said, um, something's wrong with my son. And I said, you already know what's wrong with your son. She goes, no, he's not. He's fine. He's just sick. I'm taking him in the hospital. She goes, what do you think the problem is? Can you ask the spirits? I said, I don't have to ask the spirits. It's three years from the time that I told you. And I told you, did he come into your room and tell you he feels sick? She said, yes. I said, he has diabetes, honey. Mm. Like you're going to find out. And she's like, I can't believe you're saying this to me. And I'm like, well, I told you a long time ago and you decided not to listen. So now you're going to have to deal with the consequences that you, you, you know, and I don't want to say that you made your son sick, but you know, you're going to have to take responsibility for the fact that you're his mother and you're supposed to make smart choices because your kids should be getting things that are giving life to their body, not death. And so 
he, she went and found out her kid had diabetes, unfortunately. And, um, you know, and it's been very painful for her mm-hmm. in the fa- and, her, and her family. And, and, and then it's still, after all of that, still feeding him things that are not, that are processed meats and processed foods. And, you know, even when I went and got her a chef, say, come in here, let's cook some vegan foods. Let's get him on a special plan. Let's get you guys all healthy and let's get it going. Nothing, nothing, you know? And it's unfortunate that there are people out there in the world who are like, I'm spiritual. I do yoga. I do this, but I feed my kids processed meat or I feed yeah. my kids processed cheese, which is even worse. Cause now that, that it's, it's, it's just got so many chemicals and additives and all of these really horrible things that break down your kidneys, break down your liver, put all kinds of toxic poisons in your, in your plasma, in your body. And before you know it, people wonder why you see all these allergies and all these things popping around and everything, because the body's like, I'm sorry, but, um, I wasn't meant to consume all of this. Right. Do you have canine teeth? Is your whole mouth filled with canine teeth? I don't think so. And here's the other thing which people don't find, which people don't realize, which I always have to bring to people's attention, which I, I want to get your thoughts on. Animals who are carnivorous animals, carnivorous animals, okay? That means animals who are carnivorous by definition, right? The, the, who feed on other animals, they have an intestinal tract that is smaller than ours. It secretes an acid that literally turns the meat and the everything into a liquid and it comes right out. It's like a, a complete direct shot to their rectum and comes yep. right out. Yep. We exactly. don't. We don't. No, we don't. And nor do we, you know, eat, you know, meat, you know, raw. Uh, you know, we don't chase our, you know, these animals down with our bare hands and you know, lunge into them with our mouth and tear into their flesh, tendons, cartilage and all, uh, you know, and eat, you know, the animals on the spot. No, we don't do that. And that's what a true carnivore does. You know, uh, that's a true carnivore. You know, we have to buy our meat usually in a package and season it and cook it to death before we can even stomach it, put sauces on it, you know, and everything else. And so it's, you know, it's, we we've just been we've just been really lied to by by uh, the world. We've been lied to by you know people like the government, you know, yep. like uh, like education, like the media, like you know religion. You know, we've been lied to, and we've got to come back home to who we really are. You know who we really are. When we're all born, we're vegan. We become what we are programmed to become. And we are, if we are in uh, Texas, we are programmed, you know, to become Texan, right? And with, the, you know, with a love for the rodeos, barbecue cook-offs and everything else, like I was. I mean, I was raised that way. And, you know, and I was raised, you know, uh, you know, with a, with a, in a, in a home that was really, really crazy. It was really violent. Thank God I got through it. It's really been a big, big blessing to me now. But, you know, People are raised different in different cultures. And, but you could take one baby that's from Africa or, you know, Istanbul, and you can drop it right slap dab in the middle of, you know, a saint's um, realm where they're raised by a vegan saint. And they're not going to want to kill those animals like they did in Istanbul. You know, they're going to do what they're taught to do. But we're all born vegan. 
And so we need to get back home to who we really are instead of who the world is telling us we are, because we've got to be in this world, but not of it. If we're really going to be the spiritual mastery, if we're, not, if we're going to achieve spiritual mastery, we got to be in it, but not of it. And, yes. you know, and I really do believe that with all of my soul, all of my heart, that I'm not here to be on a red carpet, to get a big award for anything I'm doing. I'm not here for these. I may get them. And I may be on a red carpet, but that's not why I'm here. I I don't look at that as, oh my God, isn't this great? You know, I don't buy my own press, you know? I I don't buy my own, you know, people like will sometimes look at me like I'm some freaking hero, you know, when I go somewhere and I'm like, you know, we're all heroes. We're all lights. Let your light shine, please. You know, please, if if you're seeing me this way, what I want to say to you is this, you need to shine. You have a light. Whatever you need to do to get to that place to where you can be that light, you know, because when you're shining to me, when you are that light in the world, truly being that light without an, an, an attachment to ego of, of needing some accolade for that, exactly. then you're just shining because it's what stars do. Mm-hmm. Mm. We're all intended to shine, but we block our own greatness. We block our own light mm. by everything we're taught you know, to be instead of who we really are. We're not, not, you know, we're not encouraged to be the best of who we're supposed to be, you know, on a soul level. We're not encouraged. This is not a typical training, you know. It's all about how much money are you going to make? Make sure you get married. Make sure you have X amount of kids. You know, get your retirement, get your social security and retire and, you know, and then die. Right. You know, that's the program. I mean, that's what I, that's, it's so funny that you just said that because that is exactly what I wrote in my book that comes out in October is that it's that same exact thing. It's like, go to school, get brainwashed, Uh, go to college, get brainwashed, Uh, find find your mate, build a life, get your, get your pension plan, get your thing, take, go on a couple vacations, make some kids, you know. Uh, and then go out there and work, be a slave, and then go in, you know, and take a, now you're older, you know, be a grandparent, um, have a couple more vacations and die. Exactly. And who, you know, and that is a horrible, horrible way to live. Oh. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Here we are. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh my God, yes. I mean, I'm slap, we're slap dab in the middle of this madness. And, you know, and I've got to be in this world, but not of it. I mean, I know I, I I talk like a Texan. I mean, I can, when my mouth opens up sometimes on, you know, when I'm being interviewed or, or on a program, whether it be a documentary or speaking at a presentation somewhere, I don't ever know what's going to come out of my mouth. I really don't. I do not have a plan. I, I don't ever like script it and, you know, what's going to come out is what the audience needs to hear from me. Whoever is there, you know, and when I, right before I did your interview, I was, in fact, I told one of our board members, you know, I said, you know, I'm having an interview today from, you know, Shaman Durek, and he's got such an interesting following. And I, I feel so blessed that he's asked me to be interviewed because the Rowdy Girl message is going to be you know, gifted to a whole different demographic. Yes. 
uh, I mean, it's so amazing, you know, because people that hear our story, a lot of people really do resonate with it because it's about vibration and frequency, right? And your people, your tribe understands this. They understand frequency, vibration, you know, uh, spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it, right? Your people understand this. And so if, if, if something that comes out in this interview is imparted to them to where they can go, wow, you know, I need to look at that. And, or maybe they hear it and go, dang, you know, it's over. You know, I'm done with this low vibration and frequency of death that I'm putting in my body. Mm. It's such a terrible vibration. I tell, you know, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, you literally, your body is life and you're there. And and people, some people will even fire back at me and say, well, what about plants? And I'm like, go do your science. Plants don't have a central nervous system and they don't have um, a brain corpus that allows them to be able to feel pain at the same way that animals or us, we would feel pain. They have a synthesis that runs through the earth. And that's what connects them to their feeling centers and their ability to feel um, for their life force. But they don't have that central nervous system that is like, you know, pulsating, you know, those frequencies through their nerves of pain centers, like the way we feel them because of the different aspects of our hypocompass and different aspects of our, our frontal lobe and our temporal lobe and so forth. So it's it's very interesting how when we're operating from, from that, that perspective is that human beings don't understand is that our body's made of life. And if you want life, you eat life. And if you want death, you eat death. It's quite simple. I mean, it's almost like a no-brainer, you know? It's like a no-brainer. It's like, I know. if you want life, eat life. If you want death, eat death. If you want life, speak life. If you want death, speak death. If you want life, give life. If you want death, be death. You know, it's like, you're literally aligning yourself with the very core ethics of that which you are generating as a vibration and as an energy source. Oh, <laughs> hallelujah. Right? And yeah, so I'm, in the people, a, I'm in the amen corner right now. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it's like the more conscious, people think that consciousness is just going to yoga and doing these things. No, consciousness means choosing life vibration versus death vibration. Yes. And we got to be careful. Everything we say, everything we, every action we take, everything we put in our mouth, uh, everything we, we, we purchase, we put on our bodies, we, we need to become more and more conscious. Of all of that, you know, you know, I mean, like eating eggs was the last thing to fall away for me, you know, because I didn't understand how eating eggs was, you know, was wrong. I mean, my chickens were here and I mean, I wasn't, I didn't see how they could possibly be wrong, you know, until I started studying that. But when I, when I started realizing that, you know, even that was cruelty, even taking their eggs and eating them was was cruelty and i had to see that and um 
that's a whole nother discussion, but you know, I don't know if you want to want to delve into that or not, but yeah, that's I do all. Yeah, want to delve into it because I've had, um, so from, you know, I go, I have this, this in this balance, right. That I've been vegan for so long. And then I started to, I have a friend who did a whole DNA thing of my like body and everything and how much energy I'm putting out and traveling and all that. She's like, you need to have some kind of yogurt or cottage cheese or something, or maybe just an egg once in a while, Derek. I know you don't want to do it, but you got to do it because your body is breaking down and you need to have it. So I'm like, ugh. So, you know, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, and I'm glad we're bringing this up because I like to be very transparent because I've been calling, sure. myself, I've been telling myself these days I'm a Cheegan where I used to be a very strict vegan. I don't say strict, but just a vegan in general. But I would say Cheegan because once in a while I'll throw in a hard boiled egg. Once in a while, I'll throw in a cup of, of, of organic cottage cheese. And I really, and that's why I'm really glad that this conversation came up for me because it's really good. Because now, as even as I'm talking to you, and after you explain the whole dairy thing, I'm like going to go downstairs and tell my assistant, like, okay, we got to find other options here. I'm going to have to go back to coconut yogurt. I got to figure something out because, um, yeah, because it's like I have to refresh my mind of how bad the dairy industry is. But tell me about the eggs because I need... The more education I have, it's going to make me a stronger and better shaman for the people, but also for myself. And when I'm good for myself, I'm good for everyone. Well, well, certainly, you know, and the eggs, you know... and again, it's it's a violation of the feminine. One more time, you know. I mean, granted, I know the egg isn't actually a menstrual cycle or a menstrual period of a chicken. But if you can just imagine for a minute that that egg, and, and, I, and I did, I've done the research. I have seen how an egg is created and, you know, it comes out of that one, you know, hole in the chicken where they, you know, they defecate, they urinate, and then out comes this egg. Uh, just like in a woman, it would be a menstrual cycle if, if it didn't get impregnated, right? It right. would be, and so, you know, and, and as a woman, I mean, I wouldn't want somebody coming in the middle of the night and stealing my menstrual cycles and scrambling them for breakfast the next day, you know, or, or cooking them sunny side up or something, you know. And so I, I say this, you know, and kind of like satire and satirical in a way, you know, it's kind of like, you know, hey, you know, these chickens, when they lay their eggs, those are their eggs. They're, it's, they belong, it belongs to them. It is not mine to take. And when when we take their eggs from them, it causes them to lay more eggs and more eggs. And if I'm going to take an egg from a chicken now, I will give the chick the egg back to them in the form of, you know, I will break the, the egg open and, and gift it back to the chicken because they can actually utilize that to help strengthen their own reproductive system, which is so compromised because of you know, genetic modification that we've done to these chickens. I mean, there was once a time, once upon a time, you know, chickens, you know, laid, you know, 12 to 13 eggs a year, much like a woman in her menstrual cycle. There was a time when chickens, that's what they did, maybe 15 or so a year. But now chickens are bred to to produce these eggs every day. Every day, their body has to go through all of the gyrations to to push out an egg, and it's uh, it's you know and 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 then you know all the male chicks 
Do you know what happens to the male chicks? Tell me. All the male chicks, as soon as they're hatched, go through a macerator. They are ground up immediately. They, their little bodies, they, they barely even awoken. And they're, they're on a conveyor belt and just whipped away, shredded to bits for like cat food. Oh, God. That's the egg industry. They have no use for the males. None whatsoever. I mean, they pick a few of them out to be breed stock, but the males don't lay eggs. So what do they need them for? They're, they're worthless. Just like the males, you know, the male calves and the ma- you know, they, they're, they're worthless. No. They that... violate the feminine. It's the violation of the feminine all the time. Wow. Wow. So, okay. I am, I'm, first of all, I, 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 I'm so honored by you, by the way. Because you're opening my eyes to so much inside of me that I need to also do some more research in myself, and um, and really just dive in deeper to these deeper these deeper wells inside of myself to find alternatives for things. I also I'm always doing that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I yeah. love it. I love it. I love it. And it's I never ending. So 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 now you have this you have this uh, farm right? And tell me about your farm. Well, we have 124 farm animals right now that we take care of, and we currently are in Angleton, Texas, but we are we're really doing everything right now to move up towards Austin because we got to get out of the floodplain. We've been flooded twice here. Uh, one was a 100-year flood, and the second one was a 500-year flood. So we're, we, are, we are in the process of, of looking for land, negotiating, and, and we're very close to making a decision so that we can move everybody to a higher ground. And so, uh, but our farm consists of our, we have 64 cows. We have, gosh, I bet we have 30-some-odd chickens. We have roosters. We have a lamb named Leo. We have a turkey named Seely. We have uh, a couple of ducks named, you know, Remy and Shady. We have goats. We have pigs. Uh, we have horses. You know, we really, really have a multitude of, of lives that we care for. And I am so honored and blessed every single minute of my life to enrich their lives in any way possible. My whole premise today is how can I best serve these animals so that I know that their lives are better than they were yesterday? What can we do? I instill that in the employees. We have two outside animal caretakers and I'm always teaching them uh, about how to observe uh, the animals you know, that we care for and what can we do better how can we better serve them? Because it's about serving these animals. You know, instead of us, you know, being served by them in terms of food, it's about, man, when, we, when, when I started serving them, everything became so crystal clear to me. That's what, that's what true dominion over the animals is, 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 is real stewardship. Real stewardship over their care. What do they need? And when I do that, all of my needs come into focus. Uh, you know, it, it's it's so amazing. Like, you know, we have the Rancher Advocacy Program now. I mean, we are actually pioneering a way out 
for other ranchers so they don't have to participate in, in animal cruelty anymore and they can still, you know, save face and have integrity as farmers. I mean, that's, that's a big, big deal, you know, in, on our planet because so many farmers don't think there's a way out. So we're always thinking of other ways to enrich the lives of our animals because, because we've taken away their, their rights. We need to give the land back to these animals mm-hmm. that we've taken it away from them. And so our farm is about that. Our farm is about educating other farmers. And we do that through our rancher advocacy program. We're converting uh, right now, you know, a chicken farm that used to, uh, you know, send, you know, over 100,000 chickens every 42 days, you know, to a a slaughterhouse. Mm. They're not doing that anymore. They're vegan. Wow. So if chicken farmers, if cattle ranchers are going vegan, I know people that have raised their kids vegan. They're they're perfectly all right. I mean, you can get the most amazing cheeses, cultured cheeses. Miyoko makes them. Kite Hill makes them. Fromagerie in Canada has an excellent, uh, you know, cultured cheese made of cashews and almonds and you know delicious uh delicious cheeses that are that don't involve cruelty and that are very good for you um you know i mean that's what i would recommend you know for you and these and these wonderful yogurts you can buy now that aren't just coconut but also cashew based you know almond based yogurts yeah i'm gonna do that and what about cottage cheese what do you is there any kind of product out there like that I don't know of a cottage cheese, but there's like a, like the the cheese that you use in lasagna. What's that? Ricotta. That, yeah, there's ricotta and there's uh, mozzarella. I don't know of a, a cottage cheese, but you know, I used to eat cottage cheese, but I don't eat it. In, I don't even have a, a need for it anymore because there's so many cheeses out there and so many yogurts. Uh, and so many milk products that are cruelty-free. I just, I'm constantly, you know, sourcing them, buying them. And uh, the butter, oh my God, Miyoko's has a cultured butter that tastes just like real butter. Actually, it's better. This is great. This is really great. I really appreciate you. Yeah, it's really, really good stuff. So how can people, can people donate to you? How can people get, can, how can people get into the Rowdy Girl life? Well, you can uh, follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. And of course, our website is rowdygirlsanctuary.org. And you can certainly donate. You can become a member. A lot of people become members. Uh, we have 269 members now and, you know, and it's growing and we need all the members we can get, but you can become a member for as little as $15 a month. And that goes a long way. I mean, just get involved, you know, come out here and volunteer. Wonderful. Does, so on Instagram, is it Rowdy Girl Sanctuary or is it just Rowdy Girl? It's Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. Rowdy Girl. And on Twitter, it's Rowdy Girl Ranch. And uh, on Facebook, it's Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. And I have a YouTube channel, uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. I love it. You're amazing. I am so honored 
to to for us to find each other in this life. You're fire. You're lit. You're you're you know you're ferociously just in that space of just really bringing about the education, the love, the passion for life and for care and for just really being there to nurture these beautiful sentient beings from their suffering and their pain that they've endured. I'm honored. Oh, thank I'm honored you. By you. You've really inspired you. me. You've really inspired me today. Thank you. And I, you know, I didn't talk about the other like chickens, but let me tell you, chickens are one of the most amazing creatures. And so I thank you for giving me an opportunity to share, you know, my experience, strength and hope um, with you and your audience. And it's, uh, it's a real privilege to always give a, to have a platform for these animals. These animals don't have any other voice that at least are, that are with me, except for mine. Yes. And um, so any chance I get, um, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being an advocate for the animals. Thank you for being their voice and thank you for being their ambassador. I honor you. I love you. And I'm grateful and thankful for you. Truly. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Uh, it's reciprocated. What you're doing in the world, uh, Derek, when I when I stumbled upon you, I don't even know how it happened. I was just floored by the energy that emanates from you. Uh, it is, it's so authentic. It's, I, I feel your aura across the country, wherever you're at. I don't know where you are, but I feel you. It's as if your aura is is dancing with my own, and I feel it. And I, uh, I I felt it when I first. Was, it was almost like you know you've heard of Shakti put right. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, I felt it as if it was like boom, and I was like, yes, I gotta meet this guy. That's how I felt when I saw you. I said, this is a, this is a pioneer. This is a. This is a true leader. And I just really, I was like, I remember we had one thing and there was, we had to cancel one time and I was like, what? <laughs> I know. I don't even remember why it was some, some reason. I can't remember if I was sick or I got, I, I rarely get sick, but when I do, it's like, oh, well, so much for that. And right. um, I don't know if it was, was, I was sick or I was traveling. Like I'll be gone. I'm leaving in the morning and I'll be gone for 10 days. I'm going to Berkeley and then I'll be in Anaheim and Long Beach. And, you know, so I'll be speaking, you know, out there. And then I come back and I'm on, you know, I'm on a whirlwind tour, you know, for the next few months. Sounds wonderful. And that's exactly where you need to be on a whirlwind tour. Everyone <laughs> needs to hear you speak. You are you are lit. You are on the lit train. It is amazing. I love it. And I am so grateful. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you so much, Derek. Absolutely. Tribe, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of words other than I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Rowdy Girl Sanctuary. I'm grateful for Renee King Sonnen. I'm grateful for pioneers such as herself who are out there being an ambassador for those who cannot speak, those who cannot protect themselves, those who cannot say, please stop hurting me. Whatever you do, whatever you decide to do in your life, make sure you always do it from the place of realizing that the greatest gift you can bring to life is to choose life for everything and for everyone. 
please go and follow Rowdy Girl Sanctuary on Instagram. Go to the YouTube, watch the videos, get involved. She makes amazing smoothies. Like really, (laughs) really get into that space of what it means to be a part of that amazing woman's life. I am so honored. And I said again, I am grateful for you as well, Tribe. I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen today, share. I love you so much. Follow me on Instagram at Shaman Durek and check me out. If you want to level up your powers, go to Shaman Durek, check out my newsletter and go and get my book or pre-order my book at Amazon or, or on Barnes and Noble, The Spirit Hacking. And it's going to change your life. I love you all so much. And remember, invite to ignite. The more we share, the more we care. I love you. And until next time, see you later, alligator. Bye.